Father, we just thank you, we just praise you, we just worship you, Lord. We thank you, thank you, thank you, Father. This morning we come to you. And we thank you, Lord, as we prayed in the beginning, that we live on this side of resurrection. Two thousand years ago on this Saturday, your disciples who followed you for three and a half years, who saw all the miracles, heard your incredible teaching, were discouraged, were depressed, because it was darkness. The one they had loved was dead and was buried out of sight. And they had no hope. But we live in a different plane altogether. For we know you are seated on high. All power and authority is in your hands. Therefore, Father, we stand here knowing that our Redeemer lives. Our Savior lives. He's the beginning and the end. And the keys of Hades and death is in his hands. He has overcome death and his children have to fear death no more. Thank you, Father. Thank you. So even as we study from your word, I pray faith will arise. That's the whole purpose. Faith will arise that we will believe and walk in what we have heard. Speak to us this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Remember, we've been looking at the works of faith. There is the work of faith, there is the labor of love, and then there is the patience of hope. So we've been looking at the woman from Shunem, the Shunammite woman, in First Kings chapter 4 and verse 10. Sorry, Second Kings This is a person, okay? A name is not mentioned, so can be any believer, any child of God. It can be a church because it's a woman. Women usually represent the church. So there's a woman, a person, a church who's not mentioned, and she's a woman of incredible faith. And what stands starts as one meal will lead to a series of incredible acts of God in her life. And we will see. She just sees a need and she meets it. That's how her ministry begins. Okay, People always look as to say, Lord, what is my call? What is my purpose? The thing is that if you look around, you will see a need. And if you look inside, you will see you have the resources to meet that need. And when these two come together, a ministry is birthed. Okay. And that's how a very simple thing. She saw a man with his disciples walking back and forth with his servant Gehazi. And she says, you know what, let me feed him. He looks hungry, he looks tired. And she feeds him. She constrains him to come to her house. Okay. And then one meal became many meals. Then she said to her husband, please let us make a small upper room on the wall and let us put a bed for him there, a table, a chair and a lampstand. So it will be whenever he comes to us, he can turn in there. Okay. It's absolutely altruistic, meaning she's expecting nothing. She's a well-to-do woman. She's a rich woman. Okay, so riches is a good thing. It's not a bad thing. And the Bible says those who are rich, let them be rich in good works too. Okay, if God has given somebody wealth, he doesn't give everybody wealth. Everybody has the capacity to make wealth, but everybody does not know how to use it. But there are some people who have also given the gift to make wealth so that they would be a blessing in the kingdom of God. And here is a woman who is well-to-do, 
who uses a wealth. And she says, let us make an upper room. Okay, remember, it's an upper room. It's not hidden in the back of the house or the basement. It's an upper room, meaning it's very visible. And it is not <coughs> just any room. It's a dedicated room. It's an upper room. It's a room dedicated for the prophet, the servant of God. So when we make room for God, remember, it is not in the basement. It has to be very, very visible. It is very, very visible. They will make fun of us saying, you wear your faith on your sleeve. But wear it there. Wear it there. Let it be very, very visible. This is my time. This is my space with God. This is which I have set apart for God. And it is non-negotiable. Okay, it's a very visible place. It's on the top. And it's a dedicated place. It's not for her. It is not for a child to play. It's not for to put all the uh, harvest when nobody is staying there. No, it is set apart for the prophetic. And because of that, she sets a very visible place and sets it apart for God. You need to realize that we know the story. It is in the doorway of that room that hope is birthed. What she had given up that she would she doesn't even think about it, that she would ever become a mother because her husband is old. They've been married probably for a long time. But it's going to be birthed. What starts as a small meal to a room, it's going to birth. And a miracle is going to happen in her life, in her home, because of the word she will receive in that room from the prophet. Not only that, one day when that dream dies, that child dies, even resurrection will take place in that same room. And because she welcomed the prophetic into her home and made space for the living voice of God in her life, before famine comes, before famine comes, she receives a word. She's warned in advance, unlike all the others in that country. She's the only one who is warned in advance. There is going to be famine. Move away from this place. And she does. And when the famine is over after seven years or so, when she comes back, the land is taken. But even at that point, there is a divine intervention and everything is restored back to her. So we need to realize, would any of these things have opened if she had not given a meal? What what one little act of kindness led to in her life? So don't despise the day of small beginnings. All these little, little things have great... Everybody is waiting often for the big thing to happen. But big things happen when we are faithful in those little things and consistently faithful in the little things. One meal became many meals, okay? So we looked at, it was not just a room. It was not just a room. It was a room that was furnished, okay? And we saw there is a divine order over there. There are different orders in the Bible of different things. And here there is a divine order. Though there's only one word over there, but there is a divine order because of for whom the room is being built. So it is not Elisha. Actually, it is the God of Elisha. Without the God of Elisha, Elisha is nothing. He's a nobody. He has no power or nothing to give. It is the God that works in Elisha that makes all things possible. So when we are making room for a servant of God, we are actually making room for God because God needs nothing. How do we serve God? We serve God by serving man. 
Okay, that's why God says, he who lends to the poor, lends to God. The earth and the fullness belongs to God. So you cannot give God anything. But God says, when you lend to the poor, you lend to God. So remember this, God doesn't need our service. He doesn't even need the angels. He created everything without anybody. He sustains everything without anybody. He uses angels, he uses us. So please remember, nobody can serve God. But we serve God when we serve one another. That's what's happening over here. That is an order. In that order, it is important. The first thing that is mentioned there is a bed. Okay. We looked at it two Saturdays back. We looked at it. The bed in the Bible symbolizes rest. The first thing God offers to us is rest. It's not work. It's rest. The first thing we offer to others is work. <laughs> He's sitting idle, doing nothing. Let me give him some work. Okay. Not our God. Okay, not our God. The first thing he invites us to is to enter into his rest. The first rest, right, is from the burden of sin. Of all the seven sayings of Jesus Christ on the cross. Seven sayings of Jesus Christ on the cross. The most important is it is finished. That's from where our rest arises. It is finished. You don't have to work anymore. You don't have to work. The works of the law is done and finished with. You don't have to do one thing to be saved from the penalty of sin. It is finished. Enter into my rest. Okay, That's the first invitation of God. Rest from the burden of sin. And most people do not realize much of the burden we carry is caused by sin. We are looking at all the symptoms. But the symptom is not the problem. The problem is we are carrying the burden of sin. And Jesus invites us and says, come, rest from the burden of sin. Second, we saw two Saturdays back, rest from condemnation. Who is that condemns you? For it is he who justifies. Man lived under that voice of condemnation. Okay, remember, Cain is a wanderer. It's a wanderer. You know why? Because the voice of condemnation. He can't, he won't resolve with it. Though God invites him to resolve, but he doesn't. He wants to do it his own way. So he's a wanderer. And the voice of condemnation, because the blood of his brother cries from the ground. So there's this voice of condemnation. And people in religion are caught with the voice of condemnation because they know they have done evil, but they cannot do anything about it. The brothers won't forgive them. They won't ask for forgiveness and the condemnation forever. But we who have come to Christ, that voice is taken away. Because we know, you know what, I can't do anything about it. But you know what, he has done everything for it. Because he paid for everybody's sin. My sin against my brother and my brother's sin against me. Everything was taken care of on the cross. So we have rest from condemnation. Third thing we looked at is that we have rest from labor. Labor, meaning we don't have to work for God or man. We now allow God to work through us. It's a completely different thing. When you, but the difference is how you look at work. And Paul says, Paul plans, Apollos waters, God gives the increase. Therefore, the one who plans and the one who waters is nothing. The one who gives increase is everything. What does it mean? I am only called to do what God wants me to do. I am not responsible for the result. In a result-oriented world, where literally, as you say in English, dog eats dog, it is only competition. 
It's an absolute freedom that you are not judged on the result. You are not judged on the result. You are only judged for the work. Was there honesty? Was there integrity? Was there hard? God is not looking at the result. That's in his hands. That's in his hands. He doesn't look at the result because he is working out a huge mathematician, permutations and combinations. You could be the best worker, the most honest worker, the most worker with the greatest integrity, but you may see no result at all because to have result at that time may mess up with God's plans for somebody else. So he doesn't bring any result there. He may keep the result for another day, for another generation. Okay, you need to understand, God is, so you don't look at the increase because in this walk of faith there are so many lives involved. So many lives involved. And God is working it out like 13 years. Joseph is such a man of integrity, working hard. He sees nothing. You know why he sees nothing? Not because he's not a good worker, but because his brothers are not ready for redemption. So he cannot see increase. He cannot see increase. So that is why God says, leave it to me. Leave it to me. You know what? It gives you rest from the work culture of this world. The work culture of this world is, I want result now. And I don't care how you bring the result. All I want is the result. Right? That's why companies are very happy to give you what is called work from home. <laughs> as long as you bring in the product, we don't care. Actually, we are very profitable because we don't have to hire this huge um uh, office spaces and air conditioning and giving you snacks in between and all. We don't have to worry about anything. <laughs> you know, remember in the old days, I think, yeah, those who worked in Google, they worked because of the snacks, I remember, in the beginning. <laughs> so you have this rest. Rest from the work culture of the world. You know, it's an incredible rest. Incredible rest. Because one day we will see, God will say that, you know, well done. Good and my faithful servant, well done. And we will see the increase that happened. And then the fourth one we saw was rest through and in our battles. We saw from the book of Joshua, they had rest. But rest could come only as a result of war. Peace is a result of war. Where there is no war, there can be no peace. Because if you are an enemy, you need to overcome the enemy before you can have rest. So there is a rest through and in the battles. Now, we will look at the second item there. <coughs> the second item is a table. Let us put a table. Okay, We will only look at the table today. The table in the Bible, remember, it represents fellowship. It represents communion. That's what the table means. Table does not mean the food on the table. That's only a part of it. It is the fellowship that takes place around that table, even while we partake. Meaning you can go, you can go to a restaurant, sit at, um, sit at a table alone, order the best food and eat, but there is no, no communion there. That table does not represent communion or fellowship. So the table in the Bible represents fellowship and communion. <coughs> Remember, fellowship and communion. But to have fellowship 
and communion, it has to come from a position of rest, where there is no genuine bed, spiritually speaking, where there is no genuine rest with God and with man. You cannot have genuine fellowship and communion with man. That's where the bed is put over there. Whether it is in a home or it's in a church or in an office where rest is disturbed, fellowship is almost impossible. It will be very, very superficial. It will be very, very superficial. So that's why this divine order, first is rest. We need rest with God and with one another. We need rest. We need that rest. From that will arise a fellowship. If you go to Acts chapter 2 and words 42, <clears throat> 42, those who were added to the church, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in the breaking of bread. There are two things in the middle. One is fellowship and one is breaking of bread. Both are connected with spiritually with the table. There are two aspects of fellowship or, or two aspects of this table. The first aspect you see over there is fellowship. The second is the breaking of bread. One of which involves judgment, self-judgment. Okay? They used to meet every day. Then as the church grew and order was being set, it became the first day of the week. Acts chapter 20 and verse 7. The breaking of bread. 27. Now on the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread. Okay, remember, that is how the order is being. You see, when the church begins in the beginning, it's a different thing. There is not much order. There's so much enthusiasm and love and everything. People give up everything and they want to gather every day and all. But as time progresses, you realize it is not that. You get saved today. You get sanctified tomorrow and rapture takes day after tomorrow. It doesn't work like that. You, know? you realize this is a long journey. It may go on for years and years and in your lifetime you may not see the coming of the Lord. So you know what? A, a spiritual order is set. Now when the order is being set, we will say the first day of the week, not the seventh day. It is not the Jewish Sabbath. For us, it is the first day because we are part of the new creation. The new creation begins with Jesus rising from the dead on the first day of the week. That is our beginning. Their Sabbath and our Sabbath are different, but both are fundamentally rest. The first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 25 to 27. Again, this coming together for fellowship, and breaking of bread is mandatory. It is not negotiable. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. As is in the manner of some. But exhorting one another. And so much the more as you see the day approaching. As we see Jesus coming, getting. Yeah, yeah. you can leave between 26, 27 out. No, you will see that we have to keep coming together. There is no breaking of bread being talked about there. But it is talking about fellowship there. In that fellowship, there is exhortation. Exhorting one another. Hang in there, hang in there. Don't stop. The Lord's coming, it's getting clearer and clearer. Get your act together. Helping each other, spurring each other, exhorting each other. This is all part of the table. This is all part of the table. Okay? And it, there is an eternal application. Luke chapter 22 and verse 30. That you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom. 
and sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. So there is uh, eating and drinking in eternity at his table. So the table that we partake of here will move into eternity a completely di- different directions. And there is sitting there at thrones. So there is a table and a chair. So even in heaven there are tables and there are chairs. Okay, so please understand the spiritual significance of Gaukaramba. There is a table and one day we will eat with him at his table. Like I said, there are two tables here. <coughs> one is the table of fellowship. The other is the table of the Lord. Okay? Tomorrow is first Sunday. Okay? Tomorrow in the morning, we will be at the table of the Lord. Afternoon, when we come home as a church to Jesus, it will be the table of fellowship. There are two tables tomorrow. Okay? Yesterday was a table of fellowship. But tomorrow morning, it's a table of the Lord. So that is why you have that too. Fellowship and the breaking of bread. There are two different tables and we should not lose the distinction. Right? Because the cup and the bread, symbolic of his blood and his body, it will take us to a deeper communion or relationship with God and with one another. If you turn to First Corinthians chapter 10 and verses 15 and 16, 10, 15, and 16. Speak to as wise men. Judge for yourself what I say. The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? So it's a different table, okay? Okay, it's the blood of Jesus and the body symbolically representing that we all are saved and cleansed by the same blood. What makes one family a family? It is because they are of one blood. And what makes a church one? Because we are sanctified and cleansed by the blood of Jesus. And second, we are one body. Okay, one body. Please note this warning in that chapter. Gentiles too, non-believers too, have their tables and they're partaking of at that table. Verses 18 to 22, that is why we cannot mix the table. Observe Israel after the flesh. Are not those who eat of the sacrifices partakers of the altar? What I am saying then, that an idol is anything or what is offered to idols is anything? Rather that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons and not to God. And I do not want you to have fellowship with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. So there are two cups, the cup of God and the cup of the demons. And you cannot partake of the Lord's table and the table of demons. So demons also have tables, though the people do not know it is a table of demons. They think it is God because there is a power behind it. But God says, I will not allow you to mix You cannot have both. You cannot partake from both tables. That is why when we have these questions, can I take of this? It is brought into my office. We say no, because it is coming from that table. You cannot mix into one body. You cannot have food from two different tables going into one body. You cannot desecrate yourself. So please understand, when you are talking about the table, it has spiritual ramifications. The problem is, don't confuse the Lord's table with fellowship. What happened in the Corinthian church is that that distinction was blurred. They lost sight of it. And Paul has to be rebuked them. 
in First Corinthians chapter 11, verses 20 to 22, he's rebuking the church in Corinth. Therefore, when you come to together in one place, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper, for in eating, each one takes his own supper ahead of others. One is hungry, another is drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I do not praise you. Okay? I do not praise you. So please understand, there is a fellowship meal and there is the Lord's table. Don't mix this two. So that's why very carefully we give you a small cup. <laughs> and we we give you only enough two fingers can hold. Otherwise you'll all get drunk over there. <laughs> okay? Yeah, because they forgot, forgot what it was about. Okay? So let us look at the first table. That is the table of fellowship. Like I said, we are not talking about the food on the table. We are talking about the fellowship around the table. Even if the food is very, very simple, very, very simple, the fellowship can be tasty. Excellent. Sometimes the food is excellent and there is no fellowship at all. Because the food has taken over the fellowship. Nobody is talking. <laughs> okay. But the purpose of the table is fellowship. And as we go to the table, remember first truth about the table. It is important. We are saved by grace. All. All of us. Doesn't matter from where we come into the church. What strata of society we come. Remember I gave you that old illustration of an Anglican church where you know if you've been to these churches where you, when you give communion, you stand by the railing and the priest gives you the currency. Everybody turn by turn, they come and kneel. So there was a poor man, if I'm right, a poor man or he was, and Lord Mountbatten. So in his turn, Lord Mountbatten had come and knelt and this man also came and knelt. One prince, the other ordinary man. And one of the aides started trying to move him out and Lord Mountbatten said, let it be. We are all the same at the foot of the cross. Okay, so it does not matter who you are, president or pauper. It doesn't matter who you are. At the table, that's why we have to remember, at the table, we are all the same. Because everybody is saved by grace. Your position in society, your birth, your income, your education, nothing makes any difference. Everybody can be saved only by grace and grace alone and it is a gift. It is a gift. Nobody earns it. Right? We were dead in our trespasses. We were crippled at birth. Unable to walk with either God or walk with man. True. Which child gives a mother happiness 24 hours a day? Because the child is crippled at birth. It does not know how to walk with the parents. Okay, We were crippled at birth. We were dead in our trespasses. And God in his mercy and kindness extended grace and saved us. Picture Second Samuel chapter 9 verse 3. Then 6 to 7 and then 13. This is David, king of Israel. Now he is in Jerusalem. So it was. No, 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 no. Second Samuel, chapter 9, 
not three, chapter nine, verse three, nine, three, and then six and seven, and then thirteen. The king said, is there not still someone of the house of Saul, that is his enemy, to whom I may show the kindness of God? Okay, now he's not showing his kindness. It is the kindness of God. Okay, because he knows. I was a nobody, a shepherd in the wilderness. It was the kindness of God that made me king. Am I fit to be a king? No. I'm worthy to be a king? No. Who am I? A shepherd boy. Ignored even by own my family, the youngest, the least in my. Why did I become king? Because of the kindness of God. He showed me kindness. Now I want to show somebody kindness from the household of Saul. And Ziba said to the king, there is still a son of Jonathan who is lame in his feet. Now we know later during the time of famine, there were many sons left. Many sons left. But the one who was picked as the one who was not worthy. was a lame fellow, crippled from birth. His nurse was running, dropped him. He became lame as a baby. Okay? Verse 6 and 7. <clears throat> when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, had come to David, he fell on his face and prostrated himself. And David said, Mephibosheth. And he answered, here is your servant. So David said to him, do not fear. For I will surely show you kindness for Jonathan, your father's sake, and will restore to you all the land of Saul, your grandfather, and you shall eat bread at my table continually. Okay, so this is a picture of salvation. God saves us, though we have, he has no reasons to save us. It is just an act of mercy, kindness, goodness. He saves us, and then he tells us, you know what, I'm restoring all that belonged to your father, Adam. The earth was given to Adam. He turned my enemy. It was taken away from him. I am restoring it back to you, your inheritance. Then he says, you shall eat at my table continually. So there is this invitation of God. Okay, invitation. He falls at his feet and he says, I am a dead dog. He says, do not fear. That's what God tells us. Don't fear. It's one of the constant refrains of God to his people. Don't be afraid. Because we are afraid. If we really saw God, we would be afraid because we are aware of our sin and our shortcomings and you know he's pure, holy and he's the judge. But God says, don't fear. Don't fear. It's been taken care of on the cross. If you have believed in my son, for the sake of my son, Jesus, I will show you mercy. Right? David is showing mercy to Mephisopoth because of Jonathan. And Christ, God shows mercy to us because of Jesus. Okay, not because of anything else. And here, and he says, you know what? You shall eat at my table continuously. And verse 13 says, <clears throat> So, Mephibosheth dwelt in Jerusalem, for he ate continually in the, at the king's table. And he was lame in both his feet. Okay, his, his stature in the world made no difference. You'll be very surprised on that day who all will be sitting at God's table. And we would have never even given them a second look on earth. We'll see all kinds of people sitting at his table. And you know what he said? He was at Lodebar, far away. Now he's moved to Jerusalem. We were all far away. But God has brought us to the church and the church is called Zion, to Jerusalem. Okay, that's where he dwells. It doesn't matter which country which village we are from, he moved us all to Jerusalem. 
We have only one dwelling place. It is Jerusalem. It is the church of God. That's where we dwell. And in the church, there is a table. And it is his table, remember. It is his table. It's not our table. It is his table. He ate continually. Now there is an invitation. And Mephisbeth took that invitation. This invitation by Jesus Christ to come live in Jerusalem, and eat at his table continually. The question is, do we take that invitation? It's not when we feel hungry. It's when we have nothing to do. When I feel, no, he says, come to Jerusalem, sit at my table, and eat continually. That's where we are invited. <coughs> Remember this, the table is his. And nothing should stop. From God's side, God says, there's nothing that stops you from eating at this table. Nothing. Not danger. Not enemies. Not hostility. There's nothing stopping you from. Psalm 23, verse 4 and 5. Nothing can stop us. Unless we stop. Even though I walk through the valley or shadow of death, I will fear no evil. (coughs) For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. See, we may go through all the trials and tribulations and difficulties of life, but the table is being prepared every day. That doesn't stop. That doesn't stop. That's why it says, Mephisobeth ate at the king's table continually, continually. And God says, you don't have to worry about all these things. There is a table prepared by God every day. And we just pray, Lord, give me, give us this day our daily bread. And that's, that's our prayer. But on His side, there is a table that is spread. Okay. <clears throat> second note, thing to be noted. Second thing, you are not the only one at the table. There are many others at the table. The seating is decided by God. You cannot call up and say, I want a corner table overlooking the river. You may not get it. You may ask, I want a table for for me, my wife and my two children. You may get a table for 40 and 39 you don't like. Okay. Because the purpose of the table is not to eat. It's not food. It is to make us into one community. Understand the nature of the table. Okay? It is. So you will be tested at the table by the king. You will be tested at the table by the king. Hmm? There are four kinds of people. Okay? Those who eat at the table. Those who eat from the table, it's not the same. Okay, Remember when Uriah was called back and David asked all these superficial false questions, how are things and all. And then when Uriah left, scripture says, food from the king's table followed him. Now he's not eating at the table, he's eating from the table. Second day, he's not just eating from the table, he's eating at the table with the king. That's when the king makes him drunk. So there are these two pictures. One is... There are people who eat at the table. There are people who eat from the table. Then Luke 16, 20. 16, 20. Then there are those who eat scraps. Yeah, 16, uh, I think it's 21. 16, 21. Hmm. 
desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Those who eat crumbs from the rich man's table. Okay? They're not, they're eating from the table, but what they're eating is crumbs. Okay? Rama the Canaanite woman asked only for that. At her faith, God gave it to her. Okay? God, so, you know, uh, Adonis Sedek says, 70 kings whose thumbs were cut off ate scraps and under the table. So there is people who eat from the table. There are people who eat uh, from the table. There are people who eat scraps from the table. And then there are those who eat apart from the table. They're not at the table. They don't eat from the table. They don't eat scraps from the table. They eat apart from the table. Okay? They don't eat anything from the table and they eat apart from the table. So we'll see a scene to understand what is God trying to tell us and teach us through this picture of the table. Genesis chapter 43 verses 29 to 34. Okay? The best picture about the table. Then he lifted his eyes. Okay, this is the second trip when Benjamin is brought. Okay? The youngest brother is brought. He lifted his eyes and saw his brother Benjamin his mother's son, and said, Is this your younger brother of whom you spoke to me? And he said, God be gracious to you, my son. Now his heart yearned for his brother, so Joseph made haste and sought somewhere to weep. And he went into his chamber and wept there. Then he washed his face, came out, and he restrained himself and said, Serve the bread. So they set him a place by himself, and them by themselves. And the Egyptians who ate with him by themselves. Because the Egyptians could not eat food with the Hebrews. For that is an abomination to the Egyptians. And they sat before him, the firstborn according to his birthright, and the youngest according to his youth. And the men looked in astonishment at one another. Then he took servings to them from before him. But Benjamin's serving was five times as much as any of theirs. So they drank and were merry with them. So he's eating at his table. And they are eating from his table. Got the picture? Okay. His food is different. It's royalty. And they are being served. They are not eating with him at his table. But they are eating from his table. The Egyptians are sitting aside. They are not eating with him. Nor are they eating from his table. Okay, so you see these three pictures. Okay, those who eat at his table, those who eat from his table, and those who eat apart from his table. And then of course the scraps. Okay, so now if you go <coughs> to verse 29, Joseph has two, had two types of brothers. Okay, he lifted his eyes and saw his brother Benjamin. He had two types of his brother. His own brother and his half-brother. Okay, Jesus has two types of brothers, his own brothers and his half-brothers. His half-brothers have the unsanctified nature. They have hatred and they have hypocrisy in their hearts. Okay, Jesus also has two kinds of brothers. And then he also has his own brothers with like nature. There is no hypocrisy, no hatred, no anger in their hearts. Joseph, who is a type of Jesus, Joseph or Jesus wants to fellowship with us. But our unsanctified nature stands in the way of fellowship. 
Joseph cannot truly reveal himself to them. Jesus cannot truly reveal himself to us until we become like him. Okay? Our fellowship is very, very restrained. Very, very restrained. Very, very restrained. Because God cannot reveal himself. We go to verse 30. Verse 30, the Bible says, His heart yearned for his brother. Yearned for his brother. His heart is yearning. Jesus' heart yearns for his brothers. But he cannot reveal himself to us. Reveal himself to us. Because of our unsanctified our unsanctified in nature, he's not able to reveal. And you know what scripture says there? Joseph went inside and he wept. And then he came back. And people will cry, Lord, when will I know you? God says, I want to reveal myself to you. But the problem is you cannot handle my revelation because of our nature. Okay? First Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 13. Unless we become, over a period of time process, we become blameless that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. You see, in that company, there is only one who is blameless. That is Benjamin. He's the only one who is blameless. He has not sinned against his father Jacob. He has not sinned against his brother Joseph. All the others have to be blamed. They have sinned against God. And they have sinned against their brother. We have sinned against God. And we have sinned against our brother. So you know what happens? Our fellowship is restrained. Both with the father and with the son. The ten brothers really have no genuine fellowship with the father. Because they haven't told him the truth. They have lied him and kept that lie for the past 22 years. 22 years are over. 13 years of slavery. 7 years of good harvest. 2 years of famine. So it is now 22 years. And still they don't even really, it's a superficial relationship with their father. Okay. And as far as they think, they think Joseph is gone. But Joseph is not gone. Joseph is not gone. Okay. So you need to understand what causes us. And you know what? As long as there is no famine in our lives and our day to day needs are met, we are okay with no lack of fellowship. With God. With God. We need to understand why we do not yearn for fellowship with God is that our daily needs are met. But we do not realize we eat apart from God. We don't eat with God. We eat apart from God. To have sufficiency in our lives without a genuine, vibrant relationship with God is a curse. It's a curse. It's not a blessing. It's a curse. It is a curse. You know? Joseph was blessed. For 13 years as a slave, as a prisoner, he ate very little. Especially in the dungeon, he ate very little. His provisions were very meager and limited. But one thing was there. God was with him. What he lacked was substance from the table. But what he did not lack was fellowship with the Lord. That was there constant. The Lord was with him. We would Normal, average Christian would any day give up fellowship for substance. That is why bread is a big thing in the Bible. What people have done during famine, how they were willing to compromise and even give up their own families, eat their own children because of hunger. 
کہ ہنگر سو دیر از بریڈ آن دا ٹیبل اینڈ دیر از ٹیبل دا ٹیبل سمبلائز فیلوشپ سو وین یو آر ٹاکنگ اباؤٹ دا ٹیبل وی آر ناٹ ٹاکنگ اباؤٹ بریڈ وی آر ناٹ ٹاکنگ اباؤٹ بریڈ وی آر ٹاکنگ اباؤٹ فیلوشپ اینڈ دیٹس دا فرسٹ تھنگ گاڈ از ٹاکنگ اباؤٹ یو مے بی لیونگ این اے ہاؤس اینڈ یور فریج مے بی فل یو ہیو آل دا تھنگس یو وانٹ ٹو ہیو آل کائنڈس آف میٹس آن دا ٹیبل بٹ دیٹ از ناٹ واٹ گاڈ از لوکنگ فار گاڈ از لوکنگ فار از از دیر جینوئن فیلوشپ ان دیٹ ہوم is their genuine fellowship is their conversation not superficial conversation but genuine heart conversation where you know there is there is intimacy there is what you call your blameless before god and man that's the key that's what god looking for okay we have this plaque put over jesus is the head of the house listen of every conversation but the problem is there's no conversation there's no conversation okay and the head of the table is always empty because he cannot come there because there is no real fellowship over there and these are the things which we need to understand what does the table represent like we looked at genesis 43:30 remember joseph's 29 and 30 we will look no his heart yearned for his brother in verse 29 says that brother is benjamin okay he lifted his eyes and saw his brother Benjamin okay who is Benjamin Benjamin is the youngest in the family what does it mean it represents the humblest or the least in the kingdom Benjamin is the least in the kingdom the most humble one in the kingdom and if you look at it though he is the least though he is the humblest he calls him son okay he is his younger brother but he calls him his son and speaks to him about grace okay what does he say god be gracious to you my son it doesn't say tell to other 10 he doesn't tell to the from judah sorry reuben onwards to the other 10 he doesn't say that he doesn't call them sons okay he doesn't say god be gracious to you he tells it to benjamin the humblest of the lord because grace is given to the humble to the least the least you read the entire 13 chapters starting from 37 to 50 okay there are 13 chapters of the record of joseph and his brothers uh, you'll never hear benjamin speak you'll never see hear benjamin speak but you will see joseph speaking for benjamin okay you will not hear benjamin speak okay so please remember this up these are powerful symbols in the bible to those who are least in the kingdom those who are the humblest in the kingdom great grace is promised god be gracious you to you my son in eternity ephesians chapter 2 and verse 7 they will be recipients of even more greater in that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus what we are tasting about grace now is nothing compared to the grace that is reserved in the ages to come for the benjamins those who are humble okay and so god says you really want to partake at my table fellowship at my table there is something that is important it is humility it is humility the youngest the youngest meaning the least benjamin is the least in the family okay the smallest the least and jesus 
picked up a child and said, unless you become like this child, the least in the kingdom. The least in the kingdom. Right? When we look at these little ones over there, we do not consider them. We take care of them, but we don't consider them. They don't weigh great in our opinions, but you need to realize that they are great in God's eyes. And God is always looking at how we deal with the weak, in a home it can be children, or the powerless, those who serve us. It's important to God, important to God how we deal with them, how we deal with them. Okay, That's where Benjamin comes. You will see Joseph loves them. He weeps over them. But he is not able to reveal himself to them. Okay, God loves us. He weeps over us. But he is not able to reveal us, himself to us because of our unsanctified nature. And verse 31 says, right? If you go to verse 31. He washed his face, came out and he restrained himself. God restrains himself. We want God to take all restoration. Come on, people talk all these songs and you know, coffee with Jesus and all that. All kind of nonsense, okay? God actually restrains himself. Restrain. The pictures are there. Pictures are there in the Bible. Okay? He restrains himself. God restrains himself. One of the reasons is because our hearts and our minds cannot take that intimacy with God. Okay? John the Bap- John the Apostle, <coughs> in his old age, is he's sanctified <laughs> through his ministry, through his trial, through his tribulations, everything. And in the island of Patmos, when he has a vision of Jesus Christ, it is no conversation. He falls like one dead. Okay, you need to understand. He falls like one dead, and Jesus has to lift him up and start the conversation. <laughs> Okay. You know why? Because so those people who say Jesus talked to me, that means Jesus restrained himself so much and showed them a glimpse of whatever. Because God restrains himself because we are not ready to, to handle him. Remember when Jesus revealed on the Mount of Transfiguration a portion of his glory, they all fell on their faces. Okay, so we understand. God wants to reveal, but he restrains himself. And then he says, serve the Bread. And note the seating arrangement in verse 32. Okay, verse 32. There's no mixing of tables. There's no mixing. Joseph by himself. The Hebrews by themselves. And the Egyptians by themselves. So you know what? We need to realize this. We need to be very clear about this seating. If you are a Hebrew, don't be upset. The Egyptians, the people in the world, look down on you. Look down on you. Don't be upset. And you have to be very, very careful about it, that we don't try to be included. This is what happened to to Peter and Barnabas in Galatia. When the Judaic Christians came from Jerusalem, from James, and those who were all mixed together, Jewish believers and Gentile believers, when these Judaic believers came, they separated themselves. They separated themselves. And Paul, who was a Pharisee among Pharisees before he came, stood back and he gave it left and right to Peter. He said, you are you're breaking the law of the table. The law of the table. God has made both Gentile and Greek one. 
in Christ. We are one in Christ. You know what happens? You are separating the table. So we have to be very careful. We don't put the Hebrew and the Gentile table together. And then we don't try to divide the Hebrew and the Gentile at the table who have become one in Christ. You have to be very careful about it. No, very careful about it because these are things that happen within the body of Christ because we create class structures within the body of Christ. We create class structures. You know, we prefer our own kind of people, our own, those who have come from our own kind of background or what riches or wealth or this thing, you know, but we find it, we struggle to fellowship with the others. Fellowship with the others, you know. I used to watch this in Indian railways. <coughs> when Lalu Prasad became the railway minister, he brought in something which was called automatic upgrade, upgrading. Automatic upgrading. Like you booked, and when the train is about to leave, where the chart is this thing, if there are vacant seats in higher classes, you from sleeper class could by chance get be upgraded to third AC or second AC. Could automatically get upgraded. So when you try to board your ticket, you look at it and the TT will say, no, you have been upgraded to first third AC or second AC. And some of these people who were upgraded were simple people from the village carrying a cloth bag. They have never traveled in an AC. So when they come to the AC compartment, you should see the face of those people sitting in the AC compartment. This fellow is going to sit with us. And this poor man will sit at the edge of his seat, though he has equal right as any one of them to sit in that seat and use that berth. He sits there, and they will make him so come uncomfortable. Uncomfortable, no? You know what? This can happen in the church too. Can happen in the church too. Because remember, the people who are getting saved, coming into the church, are the sinners. And some of them will be people of the street. We pray every day. Prostitutes and pimps and drug addicts and drug dealers and all kinds of people come in. And that was a vision that was given to Peter. The sheet came down full of unclean animals. He said, kill and eat. He said, I've never done it. And he carries that spirit all the way to the book of Galatians. You will see that. I've never done it. You know, And he has to tell it to Cornelius a couple of times because of the vision I'm coming into your house. Okay. okay, and we carry that. We carry that. I mean, you know, those of us who come from Kerala, we know that we won't say Christian, Syrian, Syrian Christian. You know, it's a tab to say that we are not part of the other Christians. We are different. You know, and those tags have to be taken out. Okay, we need to realize. You know why? This goes against against what you call it fellowship. It goes against. You won't have fellowship. And Christ will restrain himself from you. And we look at Peter and his all these issues and you will see why revelation was given to Paul and not so much to Peter. Though the keys were given to Peter in the beginning, the keys was taken away from Peter by Paul. You know why? Because there was no division. Okay, so please understand the seating order over there. Joseph by himself, the Hebrews by themselves, the Egyptians by themselves. And verse 33. They sat before him, the firstborn according to his birthright and the youngest according to his youth. And the men looked in astonishment at one another. How did he, how did he know? How 
I mean, if it's like modern, like this, you know, when you sit, you will have this name tags over prime minister, home minister. They're wondering, how did they know this is the eldest Reuben, right? Simeon, Levi, Judah, it was kept to the table. Names, probably, not probably, were kept in order. How did you know? You know what is going to happen? There's going to be a great surprise in heaven where we will be seated according to our spiritual age. We will not be seated according to our physical age. Then first table is Methuselah. (laughs) It has got nothing. Everyone, so many old people will become babies. They will be sent into the nursery there. They won't be sitting at the table because they cannot be sit at the table. Yeah, it is there. Galatians chapter 4, verse 1. Right? You will not sit at the table because you cannot sit at the table. Right? I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, does not differ at all from a slave, though he is master of all. Okay? Master of all. Never enter into the kingdom of God as a child. Enter as at least a youth. I'm talking about the eternal kingdom. When rapture takes place, don't enter as a child. Be like a child, but enter at least as a youth or if possible as a father or a mother. You know why? Otherwise we won't sit at the table. Okay? They were seated according to their age. And verse 34. <clears throat> 34. Yeah, Genesis, Genesis. Got it? Then he took servings to them from before him. Okay? Now servings are coming from his table. Okay? Servings are coming from his table. And we will be tested. Benjamin's serving was five times as much as any of theirs. Benjamin gets five times over. The youngest one. Okay, five is the number of grace, but he gets five times over. The question is, what happens when the youngest or the least gets more than you? Here is the eldest. And here is the youngest. The youngest gets five. We always think the youngest needs less. Think about it. You have Ambani sitting over here. You have a beggar sitting over here. And you always think Ambani needs more money to run his corporation. But God happens to give the poor man more. What if... That's what God is talking about. What if the youngest... The least is gifted more. The question is, at the table, our hearts are being tested. Can we handle it? Is the question. The test is not for Benjamin. The test is for the other ten. The test is not for the one who receives. That's a different test. Can you handle that grace? Second is, it's for the others. Can you handle that? You were not given. He was given more. Acts chapter 7 and verse 9. The patriarchs became envious and sold Joseph into Egypt, but God was with him. 22 years earlier, they couldn't handle it because the father gave him a coat which they did not have. And God gave him visions which they did not receive. So they were angry both with their father and with their God. Because he received more. Now 22 years later, they are being tested. They are being tested. When they received this, you know, if you look at Mark chapter 15 and verse 10, 
Jesus, a carpenter's son, in the eyes of the Pharisees, came full of grace and full of truth, full of power and full of authority. And Pilate knew the chief priests had handed him over because of envy. They made great statements and all over your temple and you sacrilege over the simple thing or they were envious of him. Envious of him. They couldn't handle it. That's a question God is asking. Can we handle somebody else being blessed in our midst? Can we handle it? That's why I said, don't forget the table is his. The provision on the table also is his. First Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 11. Because he gives as he wills. One and the same spirit works all these things. Distributing to each one individually as he. Another translation is as he pleases. The table is his. The food on the table is also his. If he wants to give five to him and one to him, he says, that's my table and my provision. And that is what happens within the body of Christ when somebody gets gifts, somebody does not. Somebody gets more, somebody does not get less. It's a test for both. Are both able to operate under grace? You know what? I didn't deserve this. It was free. It's not mine. It is not mine. It is not mine. This is the test of fellowship. And fellowships gets broken over this because somebody gets more. Somebody gets more honor. Somebody is recognized more. Somebody is gifted more. Somebody is blessed more. You know what? Fellowship breaks down. The table becomes silent. People walk away from the table. They sell them others over because of what happened at the table. And these are tests. So understand what it means. These ten brothers <clears throat> had failed that test. The question is, God was testing through Joseph. Have you changed? Have you changed? The Bible says in verse 34, what does it say? They drank and were merry with him. They passed the test. Look at chapter 37 and verse 4, 22 years earlier and 22 years later. They hated him and could not speak peaceably to him. Okay, Because when they saw their father loved him more than all his brothers. See, sometimes we say you have to be fair and all that, you know what. But you cannot stop. Sometimes, you know, sometimes your affections is to a particular child who is who loves you more. Who loves you more, right? Or who is more well-behaved, more obedient, right? And Joseph was the one who was obedient to the father and the father loved him more. We can talk about fairness and justice and all, but heart doesn't work like that. It doesn't work like that. Right? It doesn't work like that. Jacob loved Joseph more. It was a child of his old age. Honestly, right? If you have a child in your old age, like Matulika was a child in the old age, you couldn't help loving her more. Okay? And she was very jealous about that. She would see that nobody came close. I still remember one day, she wouldn't allow anybody to call me Papu. Right now, you all can call. It's easy. But if she had been there, you wouldn't have allowed you to call. Okay. And she said, no. And one, one day she told Rupa to get out of the house also because she called me Papa. Okay. After she told her, okay. Okay. <laughs> Small little child. Then one day, Andrew called me Papa at the dining table. And I said, Papa. 
She immediately looked at me. I said, <laughs> she was the only one. She understood immediately. She was the only one she allowed to call me Papa in her presence. She wouldn't allow Raksha. She wouldn't allow Anu. She wouldn't allow anybody. She would push them all away. My Papa, na Papa. Okay. So you don't even realize even a court became an issue. Court became an issue. Okay. And they wouldn't talk to him. They did hate him. But now they are all eating merrily with him. So 22 years it took. But why did it take 22 years? It was not that 22 years. It was famine and starvation and the specter of death that brought them to that realization these things don't really matter. You know? These things don't really matter. And God says, what will it take you? What will it take you to come to that point where you will be happy at the blessing of somebody else? Ultimately, none of these things matter. Nobody has taken anything away from this world. Ultimately, the only thing that will matter is what happens up there. These things don't matter at all. Right? So this time they pass the test. So we too are invited by God. Come. He says, come. But remember, <clears throat> we can never truly dine at his table until the deep issues of the heart are dealt with. Most Christians, their struggles in life is got nothing to do with the problems they face. If the problems we face was the reason for all our troubles, no, or I mean our state of mind, then Joseph should have been the most depressed man in the world. But the Bible says one thing, they sold him because the patriarchs sold him because of envy, because God was with him. Our major reason for all that we respond to, our reactions, is because of lack of intimacy with God. Simple as that. Lack of intimacy with God. If you're right with God, if you're right with God, everything else will be fine. It doesn't matter what the outward is. Outward is. It is because you are not able to actually <coughs> fellowship at the table. That's why fellowship is important. Doctrine, they gathered steadfastly for doctrine and for fellowship. And you know what? Without going into the root cause, the main thing that is needed, fellowship, we try everything else. And ultimately we grow old and tired and listless and we give up. Well, what we should have worked at was our fellowship with God. That's the key. Fellowship with man is secondary. First is fellowship with God. Because you can have excellent fellowship with man with no fellowship with God. If you have any doubts, visit a bar. The most open-hearted fellowship you see there. <laughs> Okay. And they will all put their arms around their necks and go out also together as brothers in arms. But there's no fellowship with God. When the hangover is over, the so when they are sober, they are miserable like before. But we are not talking about fellowship with man. We are talking about fellowship with God. Those issues have to be dealt with. John chapter 13 and verse 18. 13, 18. Another table, the great table. The Lord's. I do not speak concerning all of you. 
I know whom I have chosen, but the scripture may be fulfilled. He who eats bread with me has lifted up his heel against me. Just sitting at the table. Sitting at the table. We know. If you look at the other parallel portions in the other gospels, he says, one of you will betray me. So how can you sit at the table and eat with him at the table and and turn around and betray him? And everyone asks, is it me? Is it me? Why did they doubt? If you look at verse 21 to 22. (coughs) When Jesus had said these things, he was troubled in the spirit and testified and said, most assuredly I say to you, one of you will betray me. (coughs) Then the disciples looked at one another Perplex about whom he spoke. It's a reality. We can sit at his table. We can eat of his offerings. And then turn around and betray him. And we know that all of them abandoned him. Only one sold him to his enemies. Did it? Did it? The reality of it. And that's what's happening over here. Because fellowship is, is superficial. In that company of 13 people, there's only one who's real. Who's that? Jesus. He loves them. None of them are real. None of them are real. They, they all make. Even if we will go die, we will die with you and all that. But nobody is real. Same picture here in Joseph's court. There are 11 brothers over there and then there is Joseph over there. There's only one who is real. It is Joseph. Because Benjamin doesn't even know it is Joseph. <laughs> He's just eating happily what he got. But he doesn't know it is Joseph. Because Joseph has not revealed himself to even to Benjamin. Okay. Verses 24 to 27. <coughs> same, same, same. John 13, yeah. Simon Peter therefore motioned to him to ask who it was of whom he spoke to John. Then leaning back on Jesus' breast, he said to him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, It is he to whom I shall give a piece of bread when I have dipped it. And having dipped the bread, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. Now, after the piece of bread, Satan entered him. And Jesus said to him, What you do, do quickly. Okay, So you can take portions from the Lord's table itself and to be given by the Lord himself. And still Satan can enter into you. You know why? Because you did not keep the law of the table. The law of the table. There's a law of the table. The purpose of the table is not to eat. The purpose of the table is to have intimacy, fellowship. Okay, it can camp, can happen at a home, it can happen at a church, it can happen anywhere. And that's why the table is so important. The table is not about eating. The table is about intimacy. And if that intimacy is not openness and honesty and intimacy is not developed at the table, any one of us is capable of taking the portions from the table, allowing the enemy to enter us, and then go out and betray Jesus in the world. So understand what the table means. And verse 30 and 31. 30 and 31. <coughs> yeah, same chapter. Having received the piece of bread, he then went out immediately, and it was night. So when he had gone out, Jesus said, the Son of Man is glorified and God is glorified in him. Okay, What does this have to do with fellowship? In the world, fellowship is always connected with gain. Connected with gain. 
We don't fellowship normally. We will always fellowship to see what is in there for me. We will, we, we also give advice like, you know, if you are going to a class, sit with the best students. Don't sit at the back. Why? Because there is gain for you there. Gain for you there. In the kingdom of God, we tell the opposite. If you are really good in studies, go sit with the weakest and try to help him out. There is no gain for you there. There's no gain for you there. But the kingdom of God does not operate on gain. It operates on the principle of loss. If you lose your life, you will gain it. If you gain your life, you will lose it. So it's always, fellowship is based on gain. Gain. Remember? We don't want to be, like I said, you never see anybody taking a fellowship, a selfie with a beggar. Unless it is to raise funds. That was also gain for you, loss for him. <laughs> Everything we do is connected with gain. And Jesus changes that. As soon as that spirit of gain has left, he says the Son of Man is glorified. But there was one among them. He was always looking out for his own. Okay. As soon as he realized Jesus meant what he meant, said he's going to actually die. There is no kingdom of God coming now. There is no power structure going to be changed. The world will continue the way it is going to be. You know, this is a pie in the sky. I came for a pie on earth, not for sky. You know what he did? He went and betrayed him. He saw there was no gain. That is why there is a, even though there must be, can be many truths in it, inherently the prosperity gospel is false because it is preached to the man for gain. Come to God, this is what you will get, this is what you will get, this is what. Even when they say give, they will say give because it will be given unto you. The world is brought in, the spirit of the world is. And we have to be very, very careful about it. That's why we keep talking about, be very careful how you fellowship in church. Don't fellowship with people with whom you have gained. Either because they have better, big reputation or a status, so it looks good to be with them. I know this one, I know this one. Or what can I get out of these people? No. Be very, very careful. Because when our fellowship is based on gain, the Son of God is not glorified. Son of God is not glorified. He's not glorified. He's not glorified. When he had gone out, Jesus said, the Son of Man is glorified now. And God is glorified in him. After Judas left, what is that? The spirit of mammon, the spirit of gain. Okay, be careful because these things matter because you know why? As long as the spirit of gain is in my heart, it's in my heart, God cannot reveal himself to me. He restrains himself. Look at what Jesus calls them in verse 33, as soon as he has gone. Verse 33. Little children. Now he calls them little children. Little children, I shall be with you Okay, what does Joseph call Benjamin? My son. My son. What does he call them? Little children. No, he doesn't call them little children as long as Judas is there. When Judas is left, he calls them little children. Little children. And from John chapter 13, 33 onwards, all the way till the end, before he's arrested, goes to get so many, is a revelation that they never heard before. 
He opens his heart. Deep things of God, which he did not teach for three and a half years. He teaches in the last few hours of his life. Why? Because he was waiting for this spirit to live before he could genuinely fellowship with them. Think about it. If one disciple had missed the last 24 hours of Jesus' life, he would have lost so much because great things we learn today comes after this. Including the Lord's Prayer. All the secrets about the Holy Spirit. What is the Holy Spirit? He will be with the... Where do we learn it from? John 14, John 15, John 16. It's all after Judas has left. Judas has left. Judas represents something. He is a stumbling block to fellowship. Stumbling block to fellowship. So you remember that spirit can be in us, which is a stumbling block to our fellowship with God. The table is smart. And God says, deal with it. Deal with it. Deal with these issues. Right? Genesis chapter 44, verses 33 and 34. Now we realize, they all eat, they go, he gives a silver cup in their sack, okay? Cup over in the can and steward goes, discovers, they all come back. And Judah is speaking on behalf of them and Judah says, you know what? Uh, he says, Benjamin has to stay. You all can go. And Judah offers to stay in Benjamin's behalf. Therefore, please let your servant remain instead of the lad as a slave to my Lord. Let the lad go up with his brothers. For how shall I go up to my father if the lad is not with me? Lest perhaps I see the evil that would come upon my father. We have looked at all this in the old days. But, but remember, now the issue that is deep within has been dealt Earlier, they didn't care about their younger brother Joseph or their father. Right? They sold their brother and lied to their father. And the father was grieving literally unto death and they didn't bother at all. Now, they are saying, no, our father's heart is yoked to this boy now. If this boy doesn't go back, our father will die. So instead, you know what? Let him go back. I will die in his place. Okay, so you know what? This is what God was trying to love God, to love your brother. Love God with all your heart, all your mind, all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself, your brother as yourself. When that comes, point comes, then intimacy is possible. Everybody is trying to save his life. Judah is trying to lose his life for his brother's sake. This commandment I give it to you. Right? 1 John 3.16. We know 3.16. God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. For this we know love. Because he laid down his life for us, we also ought to lay down our lives for the brother. Jesus laid down his life for us. So God says, now you lay down your life for your brothers. Literally, Joseph laid down his life for his brothers. Now his brother is willing to lay down his life for Benjamin. You see? New Testament principle being fulfilled in the book of Genesis. Now you know what? <laughs> Fellowship is possible. So you, as soon as this happens, look at the next chapter, how it begins, 45 words 1. Then Joseph could not restrain himself. He kept on restraining, restraining. Now he could not restrain before all those who stood by. And he cried out, make 
everyone got from me. Suddenly there is a separation. Separation. God turns everybody out. Okay. He is able to reveal himself. As soon as Judas has left, Jesus is able to reveal himself to the others. He asked all the Egyptians to leave. No one stood with him while Joseph made himself known to his brothers. You know what happened? Before that, they have no idea this is Joseph. He looks like an Egyptian. They don't know he's a Hebrew. He speaks in Egyptian to a translator. The translator speaks to the brothers in Hebrew. Now he gets rid of all the Egyptians and talks to them directly in their own language. You know what? You want God to speak to you directly and not through a pastor, not through a prophet, not through somebody else. You know what? God will do it. He will get everybody, all those people who stand in between you and God. He will speak directly to you when issues have been dealt with. Because he wants to speak to you directly. In your own language. In the way you can understand. That is the purpose of fellowship. And God is able to do that. All the intermediates are taken out. Are taken out. And he speaks. And he will speak to a child. He spoke to Samuel. He was just a child. He spoke to Moses. He was an old man. Because he doesn't want intermediaries. But we rely on intermediaries. We are always looking for a prophetic voice. <laughs> yes, there are prophets. We are looking for an apostolic voice. Yes, there are apostles. There are teachers. There are all these things. But ultimately, God wants to speak one-on-one. That is fellowship. You know? But what is the thing in between? What is in between is the issues of a heart has not been dealt with. And once that heart issue has been dealt with, you know what? Jesus, Joseph made himself known to his brothers. Right? Verse 3. What does it say? Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. I am Joseph. But his brothers could not answer him for they were dismayed in his presence. <laughs> Did you see that? The question is, the day Jesus reveals himself to us, how will we be? 1 John chapter 2 and verse 28. 1 John chapter 2. Now little children abide in him that when he appears, we may have confidence and not ashamed before him at his coming. How will be when Jesus reveals himself? The interesting thing is that when Joseph revealed himself to them, they were dismayed. It's a rapture, rapture, rapture. In the twinkling of an eye, what will be? Ashamed or confident? Because suddenly everything will be shown. There will be nothing hidden. And suddenly you will see the brethren all looking at, oh, this is what you were thinking about me all these years. (laughs) This is what you thought about me. But you acted so friendly, but I never knew because everything is nothing is hidden now. Right? And our relationship with God also is revealed. So when Jesus appears in the spiritual realm, nothing will be hidden. Will we have confidence or will we be ashamed at his revelation, at his coming? When Joseph revealed himself, the Bible says they were all dismayed. But we don't understand the heart of Jesus as much as they did not understand the heart of Joseph. Verse 4, 45, verse 4. Please come near to me. They are standing far off, afraid. 
But what does God wants? God wants us to come near Him. Come near me. Don't be dismayed. Come near me. Words 10. Words 10. He wants us to dwell near Him. You shall dwell in the land of Goshen and you shall be near to me. He wants us to come near to Him. He wants us to dwell near Him. And words 11. I will provide for you. He wants to provide for us. You see at the end of fellowship, what does God want? What is the purpose of the table? That we could draw near to Him. Do we dwell near to Him so that He can provide for us? Okay? Provide for us. There is famine in the world. But He says, don't worry. There's lack in the world. He says, don't worry. I will provide for you. Stay close to me. That is why the psalmist says in Psalm 37, I was young, I am old. I've never seen the righteous beg bread. Never seen it. They lend freely. Why? Because the righteous draw near to him. They dwell near to him. And he provides for them. And verse 14, there's a difference. 14 and 15. He fell on his brother Benjamin's neck and wept. And Benjamin wept on his neck. Moreover, he kissed all his brothers and wept over them. It doesn't say his brothers wept over him. There will be our reaction when we see Jesus will be different. It won't be the same. It won't be the same. Those who hung in there, they were faithful to God, faithful to their brother. They went through their tears and sorrows and everything without fighting sin in their life and sinning against their brother. When they see Jesus, their reaction will be different. The others also who will make it by the skin of their teeth. Jesus will love them also, but they will be very stiff. It won't be the same. They know they sinned against the father. They know they sinned against the son. And there are others who dealt with all that and stopped sinning against God and sinning against their brother when they see Jesus. That is what Revelation 21 says. He will wipe their tears away. He will wipe their tears away. He will weep over you. And you will weep over him. Okay? So fellowship has levels and dimensions. So there is a table. And the invitation still stands. The first invitation is, Come unto me, all you are weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest. John 21, verse 12. Second invitation is, 21, verse 12. Come and dine with me. Second invitation, all those who are rested, come and eat with me, fellowship with me. Come and dine with me. Last verse for today, Song of Solomon. Chapter 2 and verse 4. When he invites us, he brought me to the banqueting house. It's not an ordinary house. It's a banqueting house. House for banquet. You know there are houses and there are rooms in palaces which is only for banquets. He takes you to the banqueting house and his banner over me was love. A table's there. Tables. Okay, tables. It's a banqueting house. It is his tables. And you will see, you know, yesterday we had a banner. Now we love you, ma. <laughs> right? There will be a banner. And the banner over me was love. And that's what David will say in the psalm. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And what will follow me all the days of my life? Goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of God. This is the call. So the table she put over there is not, it's no simple ordinary thing. 
we move from the bed of rest in Christ to, to his banqueting table. We are invited. We are invited. And every day we are invited. And the invitation is come and dine with me. <coughs> Bring that home. Take it home. That's why it's called, like I said, as a close, I always say, it is not called the Lord's breakfast. It is not called the Lord's lunch. <coughs> it is called the Lord's supper. Supper is dinner. It's dinner. That is that one meal which is possible for the family to eat together. And it has to be a very special meal. Because what is special is not what is served at the table. What happens around the table. It's a time of fellowship. Don't hurry. Take your own time. Let the children talk. Even the smallest one who's just learning to talk should have his place to make his conversation. Because you know what? It's a table of fellowship. The food is irrelevant. It's food is irrelevant. Breakfast, there is no time. Because you have to run to work. Lunch, you will be all at Even old days. Father may be in the field, mother and the daughters may be at home, sons may be working somewhere else. It is not possible. But supper was important. That's why it is called the Lord's Supper. If you make it important, if you make it important that the table, the evening table, that you make it a point as far as possible, we eat together as a family, home as a family for us. It is Sunday afternoon. The supper is not possible. Breakfast is not possible. So we make it possible. Come. Fellowship. It is not what is cooked over there. Though usually it is tasty. It is not that that matters. It is people get the church gets. Okay, we have doctrine being taught at church. And fellowship being offered over here. And God says, partake of it. Spend time together. Get to know each other come from different homes, different backgrounds, this thing. But you know what? Let it be a table of fellowship. To a table of fellowship. You cannot discount the table. You cannot discount the table. You discount the table at a home or at church. We do it at our own peril, at our own cost on that day. Amen? We shall pray. <coughs> Father, we just come to you, Lord, in the name of Jesus. We just thank you, we just praise you, we just worship you, Lord. We were worthless like Mephisobeth, dead dogs, crippled from birth, enemies of God, sinners, powerless. But you showed grace to us. You invited us. You caused us to sit at your table and said you can eat at my table continually. You set a table for us in the presence of our enemies. And it was not little at your table. Our cup overflowed. The Pharisee who invited you to his house, he didn't wash your feet. He didn't anoint your head. But when we are invited to your table, you anoint our head with oil. It's not an ordinary table that we are called it is the king's banqueting table we are called. There is bread on the table for our strength. There is healing in that bread as we partake of it. There is wholeness that comes out of that fellowship. There is intimacy that is developed as we sit at your table constantly and hear of you. You want to throw off all restraints and reveal yourself to your children. That's your desire. 
And when you are not able to do it, you weep, even though we are comfortable with the food on the table and the portions we had served. You go inside and you weep because for this purpose you came and died on the cross so that man could walk with God again. Because in the garden, fellowship was broken. But on the cross, fellowship was restored. The cross was your death certificate. But on the cross was my birth certificate. You died so that we could live. The whole purpose was that man could walk with God again. And I pray, Father, from rest, we will move to fellowship with God and with one another. We will be tested at the table as you give, as you please. And we learn to love one another, accept one another, and accept the sovereignty of God as he deals with men. Continue to commit the church into their hands here and everywhere. And I pray, Father, today that we have eaten bread at your table, your word, and it will go forth and bring healing into the bodies and the lives of your people. In homes, in individuals, physical healing and peace and rest in their hearts. Touch, Lord. You are a God who restores. You are the God who gives back all the years that the locusts have eaten. The God who gives five times over to the weak and to the least. But there is, you're not a respecter of persons. So by faith we come to your table. We sit at your table. The world cannot see our feet. Our lameness is hidden. Our infirmities are hidden. Because we are sitting at the king's table. The table not only feeds and fellowship, it's also a table that covers. It covers all our infirmities. And all people can say is, they are seated with Jesus. Thank you, Father. Thank you. As we go into the rest of the day, may your presence go with us. People may sell us. All it matters is God is with us. Be with us, Lord. Thank you, thank you, Father. Commit the little children into their hands. I pray, Lord, that you would bless them and keep them. They too would grow knowing you and fellowshipping with you, Lord. Because you love children and you said, do not stop the children from coming to me. Thank you, thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.